Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Last week we uh, we studied the uh, the wedding supper of the lamb. And this week we're going the complete opposite direction. We're studying the great supper of God, which if you don't know what that is, it's birds eating people. So that's just really intense. Sorry, uh, sorry tonight was your night that you chose to visit. It's on you, you know, you just, you kind of looked online. So um, anyway, I'm gonna pray and then uh, we're gonna jump in. As we've been going through the book of Revelation, our objective has been covering the various themes of the book of Revelation. So not so much a verse-by-verse study, but more a theme-by-theme study. And so this is one of the themes that's in the book of Revelation, so we got to cover it. So, Father, we ask you in Jesus' name for the spirit of Revelation resting on us so that as we look at Bible verses, your spirit would touch our spirit and connect us with the story. We pray, God, for the spirit of Revelation to rest on us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Book of Revelation. This session is entitled The Great Supper of God, and we're going to be kind of looking uh, at a passage in Revelation 19, but not only. Um, I, uh, I want to, uh, you know, just point out tonight as we kind of start on this, that um, this is one of those subjects that's in the Bible that there's actually a good amount of detail on. It's not like there's just one or two verses, <clears throat> but there's a good amount of detail on it, and I can't stress enough how important it is that we retrain our minds related to the validity of a subject having nothing to do with do we like it, is it warm and fuzzy, and having everything to do with is it in the Bible and is it a repeated theme. Because if it's something that the Lord has put in the Word again and again, then it's something that is valuable enough to Him to have actually written about more than one place. Um, that it's a, a subject that actually has uh, some weight and, and some merit to it. So while it might be an idea that we're not really all that accustomed to, and it might even be kind of grody, I mean, this one's a grody subject. Birds eating people is like kind of yuck. But it's a subject that actually the Holy Spirit highlights a number of times in the Word. And so that therefore gives us the permission to study it and to try to understand it with an expectation that it matters. Because it's something that's written in the Word more than once. So, um, two primary passages. These are not the only places that it's mentioned, but it's the two primary where we get the most details. It's Revelation 19, uh, 15 through 18, and then also Ezekiel 39, uh, 17 through 20. There are a few other verses that I've listed in here, and then there's countless places it's alluded to, but not necessarily mentioned uh, directly. So what we're going to do, kind of getting us a starting point here, is we're going to read the two primary passages, kind of back to back, to get our uh, kind of heads around this subject. And then we'll break down some of the uh, details. So Revelation 19, 15 through 18. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried out in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair. Come, gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and the mighty, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. 
the Ezekiel passage. And another one of those points I just want to continually make to us is how little new information is in the book of Revelation. How most of what is written in Revelation you can find in the prophets. Most of it. That there are some new details, but there's not a lot of brand new concepts. Most of the concepts in the book of Revelation you can find in the prophets. And this is a great example of that. Uh, Ezekiel 39, 17 through 20. Call out to every kind of bird. Well, this is the same exact thing. Come together from all around to the sacrifice I am preparing for you. The great sacrifice on the mountains of Israel. <coughs> There you will eat flesh and drink blood. You will eat the flesh of mighty men and drink the blood of princes of the earth as if they were rams and lambs, goats and bulls, all of them fattened animals from Bashan. At the sacrifice I am preparing for you, you will eat fat till you are glutted and drink blood till you are drunk. At my table you will eat your fill of horses and riders, mighty men and soldiers of every kind, declares the sovereign Lord. I mean, you could almost take that passage and cut out Revelation 19, 15 through whatever and just stick it right in. I mean, it's, it's like the exact same stuff. I mean, same phrases, for sure, same concepts. So these are the two primary passages that we have. And again, it's not like the passage is just... A verse. I mean, these are this is some meat in both cases. Now, just as a little point of chronology, so that we can kind of track with the storyline, we've been going through the procession of Christ and what all is happening here. <coughs> this event is taking place as part of the transition from this age to the next age. This is part of the wrap up. So it's after the judgment events. It's after the twenty-one judgments. Um, it's kind of, uh, it's officially before the start of the millennium, but I mean, it's right there at the, at the start of the start of the millennium. Uh, it's right after the, uh, the Great Tribulation has been wrapped up, and right after the battle, the final battle of uh, Armageddon uh, that we've looked at, uh, that's when this is occurring. So it's called God's Great Supper, or the, or the Great Supper of God. You know, it could have, just as a little point of, uh, I don't know, reference, it could have just been called the great end time sacrifice. I mean, that would have gotten the job done. Uh, it could have been called a lot of things, but God claims it is his. I, mean, I don't know if you caught that, but it's called the great supper of God. Like, oh man, how about the great supper of the end or the great supper of, you know, all the bad guys get eat? I don't know, but for God to claim it? I mean, it's not just called the Great Supper, it's called God's Great Supper. And for it to be right there in the same uh, time period and the same passage even as the Wedding Supper of the Lamb that we looked at last week, these two feasts that are occurring, the feast of the Wedding Supper, the church together as the Bride of Christ eating this victorious meal, this glorious moment. And at the same time, in the same passage of, uh, of Scripture, and, and as we'll see, same overlapping time frame, there's all these birds eating the bad guys. It's just really intense. It's a, it's a really uh, interesting picture when you, when you see the contrast there. And it's God who designed all this. You know, he could have, he's in charge. He could have designed this any way he wanted. He could have given a great amount of time between you know, have this at the beginning, have this at the end of the Great Tribulation with a three and a half year period. No, you're talking like 
no time lapsing at all between these two stories. There are two feasts happening at the same time on purpose. And it's God's uh, design. So I gave you there Revelation 19, 17. Come, gather together for the great supper of God. It's very much him claiming ownership. Now, you know, this is part of his plan. It's a subject that we've looked at a good bit uh, in this study, and it's a, a point I like to bring up frequently when we're studying the end times. That the end times belong to God. They're God's end times. It's not like the devil is the one that wrote the storyline. It's not like wicked men are the ones writing the storyline. Everybody that's a part of it is all just a puppet in his plan and in his purposes. They're, the end times belong to God. So this great supper of God <clears throat> and all the details, gory as they may be, they belong to him. We want to do ourselves a favor and not dismiss this really gross, intense moment as symbolism or as uh, unfactual. I mean, we don't want to dismiss this as some uh, non-event. This is an actual event that's going to take place. I'm sure there's going to be angels with video footage. I mean, this is going to really happen. This is going to occur on planet Earth. It's going to be a real documented moment that we're no longer going to be talking about as a prophetic moment in the scriptures. You know when this thing happens in the end time drama. We're going to look back and talk about, you remember when all the birds got crazy? We're going to actually remember and talk about this moment as an actual event that occurs. So this isn't symbolism. This is really going to happen. Well, in the midst of all this, the wrath of God is being put on display in, in a very interesting way. Uh, one of the points that uh, we've looked at, but I just want to highlight again, the end times and the way that God is so strategic about the bad events, the judgment events, throwing you know the uh, uh, Antichrist into the lake of fire, this moment with this great supper of God where all the armies of, uh, of, of the earth are all out there in the field of Megiddo, in the valley of Megiddo outside of Jerusalem, and now these birds are coming. Every crazy, intense judgment at the end of the age is an expression of God's wrath against the wicked, specifically a, a judgment against those that have been uh, doing horrendous evil to his bride at the end of the age. So the celebration of the wedding supper of the Lamb and the bride of Christ, and at the same moment, the judgment of all the bad guys that were coming against the bride of Christ, it's actually all part of the, the same story. It's God highlighting his bride and judging those that came against her. Well, in the midst of all this, this the point that I just want to bring up, the, uh, the greatest moment of God's wrath in human history up until the end times would for sure be the flood. But do you know when you read about the flood, it's not the, the primary focus isn't on God's wrath. It's actually on his grief that he made humans. When you read about the flood, the primary emotion that you're reading, it's not the only one. There's wrath in there. But it's not highlighted over and over and over again. Whereas the judgments at the end of the age, the focal highlight point of the emotion of God related to those judgments again and again is his wrath being displayed. When you read about the flood, the primary emotion that you're picking up on is actually his grief, his sadness, his, his, uh, his, uh, his angst, his pain over making humans because they became so wicked. But it's now after generations and generations of that wickedness maturing. 
that now we're at the end of the age and the primary emotion that we see related to his judgments at the end is wrath. It's just an interesting point. <clears throat> Gave you the Genesis passage there about the flood. But one of the ways that God's wrath is being displayed here is an embarrassing defeat. If you just think about this army comes in with all this pomp. It's the Psalm, you know, two. The armies, they're all shaking their fist at God. They've all gathered together. They've now amassed the greatest sheer number that has ever entered into battle together on one side ever in human history. Probably by like a thousandfold or some crazy number. I mean, it's unbelievable the number, the masses that gather together for this battle. And the thought processes are, we're indestructible, we're undefeatable, our armies are so vast, we're going to come and we're going to take this out. Here's how embarrassing it is. God destroys them in a moment and then says, hey, now all of you get eaten by birds. That is embarrassing defeat. This isn't just like they kind of lost the battle. This is, oh yeah, I've been planning this from forever. In fact, all you armies that are going to gather, you can read about what I'm going to do to you as soon as you lose. I'm going to make sure you lose really fast, and then I'm going to make it embarrassing. You're going to actually have birds eat you because I've set this whole thing up. It's an embarrassing uh, display of, of uh, defeat. I mean, it's, it's really kind of hard on the pride. Look at this, Isaiah 34, talking about this. <clears throat> For the indignation of the Lord is against all nations and his fury against all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them. He has given them over to slaughter. Also their slain will be thrown out. Their stench shall rise from their corpses and the mountains shall be melted with their blood. This is like really intense the language, the way that God speaks about all these armies just as nothing, it is, as just an embarrassing foe that have nothing uh, to bring to the battle uh, line. All right, now the fact of every kind of bird. I just did a little bit of research. I am not a bird tomologist, whatever the right word is. Um, but I just did a little bit of Google homework, and I saw that there were some 10,000 bird species. So that's a lot of birds. And then... The, they just can't figure it out, the numbers. They're, I heard numbers anywhere from 50 to 430 billion. So there's quite a spread uh, of how many birds there are on the earth. So pick a number somewhere between 50 billion and 430 billion. And that's how many birds there are on the earth right now. Okay, that's, I was like, come on, guys. Let's learn to round. Let's get estimates. So come, come a little closer. But anyway, the, the, the range is, let's just go ahead and go with two to four, uh, 200 to 400 billion birds in the earth. I want to read a couple of verses again, and I just want you to see the language because it's kind of like intense. Top of page three if you're in the notes. Revelation 19, 17. To all the birds flying in midair, come gather together. Oh my gosh. Ezekiel 39. Call out to every kind of bird, come together. So 400 billion birds of 10,000 species, y'all come down here for some grub. Plenty to eat, plenty to go around. 400 billion, 10,000 species, God sends out a call to them. Oh my gosh, how long does it even take 
for birds to fly around the planet to get there. I mean, there's just so many crazy details. This is not only that, you probably want to imagine instead of them all showing up at once, you want to imagine they just keep coming forever. I mean, it's like, how long does it take a swallow to, f you know, fly from middle of Kansas to, to Jerusalem? I mean, I don't know, but a good long minute. It's like, all the birds, that's so intense and gross. I can take one bird. I can take two. You start talking flocks and I'm grossed out because everything that that brings, feathers and other things on my car window. It's like 400 billion, 200 billion, 50 billion birds, gross. This was like thought out. This is a really disturbing, intense thing. And, and it's in multiple places because the Lord wants us to really understand this is a real future moment. Well, the focus continually, I gave you three spaces or, or places that you can find it, but continually the focus, as morbid of a thought as this is, isn't on them coming, it's on them eating the flesh of the fallen. Gave you the verses there, Revelation 19, and then also in Ezekiel 39. Multiple times that eat the flesh, eat the flesh. That's a term that keeps coming up. So it's not like, there's no way around this to make this symbolic, is my point. The details are just like too gross, too real, too exacting. Come every bird, all 400 billion of you, gather to one place. The sky is going to go straight up dark from birds. I mean, that's too many birds to come to one spot. And then they're told, now, guys, just eat everybody down there. There's a bunch of them. That's why you're here. You're not here for a social gathering. I've gathered you here. I, God, have gathered you to eat everybody. Oh, my gosh, that's intense. Like, God, you, you thought this up. This was in your mind. You came up with this idea. Well, <clears throat> looking down just a little bit, part E, the dishonor of delayed burial. You know, in our culture, and really in every culture, we bury our dead. And if someone isn't buried, a lot of times it was on purpose in order to like show them dishonor. God is thinking that way. He is very much trying to show dishonor to all of the nations that gathered against him at the end of the age. He is showing them great dishonor. Look at this. Uh, I, yeah, Isaiah 66, and then also Jeremiah 25. They shall go forth and look upon the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me. For their worm does not die, and their fire is not quenched. They shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. This, specifically, the fact of the dead body, because it's left out. And it's supposed to be an abhorrence. It's supposed to draw attention. It's supposed to be a, a visual like point of disgust. Because they're left out. Look at Jeremiah 25. On that day, the slain of the Lord shall be from one end of the earth even to the other end of the earth. They shall not be lamented or gathered or buried. They shall become refuse on the ground. They shall not be buried. Now, it's not indefinitely because we've actually got a passage that tells us there is now a starting point to dealing with all the dead. Guys, when you start talking about the end times, you start talking about the details of it, you can't spiritualize it away because the details are, 
I mean, there's thousands of details that you just have to like write off and make mean nothing. Look at this passage in Ezekiel 39. This is crazy. It tells you exactly how long it's going to take to bury everybody. It's going to be a time period that is set by the Lord that is after whatever God decides is enough dis- time of dishonor. <clears throat> whatever God decides is enough time for them to be left like refuse and to be draw attention and to be abhorrent. Then it says this, Ezekiel 39, for seven months, the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. Indeed, all the people of the land will be burying. That will go well beyond Israel at that point. And they will gain renown for it on the day that I am glorified, says the Lord God. They will set apart men regularly employed with the help of a search party to pass through the land and bury those bodies remaining on the ground in order to cleanse it. At the end of seven months, they will make a search. The search party will pass through the land, and when anyone sees a man's bone, he shall set up a marker by it till the barriers have buried it in the valley of Hamangog. This is like, there's going to be a mass burial place for all of these slain that have had them, their bones picked clean by the birds. That's what's happening here. This is like so intense. This is Ezekiel 39, by the way, which is the same Ezekiel 39 that we've been reading about the birds being gathered for the, it's the same passage. It's you just look a little bit before it or after. All right. Part three, page four, top of page four. God prepares a sacrifice. It's called the Great Supper of God, and it's described in some interesting ways. One of those interesting ways is God preparing a sacrifice. Look at this in Ezekiel 39. The sacrifice I am preparing for you, the great sacrifice on the mountains of Israel. So let's just look at this, kind of with this thought process of God God doing something, God doing a very interesting thing. He's preparing a sacrifice. You know, it says over and over in the word, he loves a sacrifice. The smell of it, like the aroma before him. He's preparing himself a sacrifice. He's preparing his own. He's setting it all up for these birds. This is, he's talking about this event in the same way as pleasing aroma rising to the Lord off of the altar before him. He likes this. This is an important moment to him. Given over to the birds. This is one of the ways that God is described is this giving the armies of the nations over to the birds as food. Almost like you'd hand out bird seed at, at the park. Here, little birdies, birdies, birdies. Here, I have some food for you. They're like, what is it? Oh, it's all these dead guys that I slayed at the final battle. Here, little birdies, birdies. I mean, that's the picture. They're given over by the Lord to them. Look at this. Ezekiel 39, verse 4. I will give you to birds of prey. I, the Lord, I will give you over. The birds gorge themselves. That word. And the other one in, in Ezekiel 39 was glutted themselves. These are like intense, yucky words. I always wonder like, why did you write that? Like, you could have said anything. He's like, I wanted you to see the gory details. 
I want you to get a stomach for whatever it is I have a stomach for. I don't want you to be repulsed by what it is that I wrote about on purpose. I'm not ashamed of this moment. I call it a sacrifice I'm preparing. I need for you to get into the storyline, and I don't want to spare you the details and make it sound nice and fluffy and sweet and fragrance, because it's not. It's totally grotesque, and it's in my heart, and I'm going to do it. Oh my gosh, Lord, sometimes you're like a little much to handle. Look at uh, Revelation 19, 21. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Ooh, they just kept eating and eating and eating. It's like, bird, I'm, you're so full. What are you doing? I was told to come here and eat all these guys. I got to keep eating. Golly, that's so gross. <clears throat> Isaiah... 18 verse 6. I should have given you a little bit more of that passage so that you can see the context. Um, I've given it to you later in the notes, so we'll reference back to it. <coughs> At this time, just note that Isaiah 18 verse 6 actually is about this same event. Uh, I apologize I didn't give you the fuller verse there. But the Isaiah 18 passage tells us that the birds are going to feed on the dead all summer long. All right, so it says that. Uh, feed on them all summer. Now, the reason that I, I bring that in there is this is a bit of a timing indicator. Uh, in one sense, it doesn't say it explicitly, but it, it would stand to reason. Let me say it that way. It would stand to reason that if the reference is, and now the birds are going to continue to eat on these you know, corpses all summer, it would stand to reason this event is taking place in the spring. It doesn't say that, but the timing on that does tend to like lean, lend that direction. So that's even a little bit of a timing indication of when all this stuff goes down because this is occurring at the end of the great tribulation period, okay? So just as a little kind of a frame of reference and, and this is the kind of thing you don't wanna you know, make a strong doctrine out of, but it is the kind of thing you wanna store away with other little timing indicators that we pick up in the word related to how these events unfold, okay? This is one of those. The significance of horses. Ezekiel 39, verse 20, I think it also says it, uh, yeah, it says it really clear in uh, Revelation uh, 19, um, says the same thing about the horses. It says, you'll eat your fill of horses and riders. I just want to state some of the significance of the horses. This doesn't say of tanks and riders, you know, of armored vehicles and riders. It says horses. And God is like, not dumb. So when it says horses, we need to recognize this mandates a significant amount of horses at the end time battle. Horses. Now, knowing what we know about the end time events, there's going to be a significant number of things that are going to occur. They're going to cause electricity to be a real problem, going to cause roads to be impassable, going to cause travel to be, you know, difficult, the the functionality of motor vehicles to be I'm not going to say impossible, but I'm going to say significantly decreased. I think it's actually reasonable to believe that the events of the Great Tribulation are going to greatly require a returning to the Dark Ages related to transportation. I think that the subject of horses is actually going to be a real issue in the Great Tribulation as the time goes on and more hundred-pound hailstones destroy stuff and more plagues kill this and more fires kill that and more you know, cities get blown up from war. I mean, just the planet is going to look very different 
at this point in time than it does today. It's not like you're just going to be able to get in your car and drive wherever and get in a plane and go wherever. Life is going to look very different. There will still be some of that. It just won't look like it looks right now. The subject of horses being a significant part of the food for these birds is not an accident. It's going to be horses. So it's not like they're going to be eating people and tank parts. They're going to be eating horses because that's what the word of God says, horses. And it says it both in Ezekiel and in Revelation 19. So it's in multiple places. So we just want to, you want to make note that that should actually help inform some of our theology related to what that end time battle looks like. Because there's got to be a significant number of horses. It wouldn't be worth mentioning if 72 horses make it to the end time battle. You know, five or 10 million soldiers are all there. 100 million soldiers, 150 million soldiers. I don't know the number. And 72 horses. Now you birds go out there and eat all the people and then find some of those horses. That's like the appetizers, the delicacies. They're out there somewhere. There's like 72 of them that made it. No, there's going to be a bajillion horses at this battle. And they're going to get eaten by birds. Soldiers of every kind. That's a point that we've uh, talked about a little bit in past sessions. Just the idea of multiple types of army men and women and, and groups and special forces and the army and the navy and also the marines and also the air force. All, it says of soldiers of every kind is the Ezekiel 39 language. Soldiers of every kind. And so I think that's going to be a... You know, uh, it's going to read, it's going to walk out just like it looks like right there. That could even include private militaries. That could be paramilitaries. Soldiers of every kind means everybody that's a fighter, that looks like a fighter, smells like a fighter, all the militias in the little towns in Texas. I mean, everybody that's a soldier is going to be there gathered for that battle. And that's who all these uh, uh, birds are eating at that point. Now, we'll wrap up with this because I alluded to it a little bit in our last session and I want to kind of connect the dots here before we break into our discussion groups for you guys to talk. And that is the connection to the wedding supper of the lamb. These birds are eating for a very long time. There's that uh, Isaiah 18 verse that I told you I would show you later that I should have shown you earlier. Revelation, I'm sorry, Isaiah 18 verse 6, letter A, page 5. They'll be left to the mountain birds of prey and to the wild animals. The birds will feed on them all summer, the wild animals all winter. Okay, so this is a description of what's occurring. You can go look at Isaiah 18 on your own. Description of what's occurring related to how long it takes for <coughs> these birds to eat. It says they'll eat on the feed on them all summer long. Now, the reason I'm bringing that up isn't because of the timing indicator we were looking at earlier. I want to make the point that when this great supper of God starts, it isn't over in 15 minutes. It isn't over in 15 days. It's over. It's a long, long time. My main point for why I'm bringing that up is the overlap time frame completely includes the time period of the wedding supper of the Lamb. So, while the wedding supper of the lamb is happening, because it starts right after this, while the wedding supper of the lamb is happening, the great supper of God is still happening. So whatever picture we have of the wedding supper of the lamb needs to include a horizon view of the sky being black with birds, okay? 
and all this mess happening. That needs to be in the peripheral somewhere because the time frame, it's still going on. It's not over yet. Well, it's also in the same regional proximity. So it's not like the wedding supper of the Lamb is happening in Jerusalem, but this supper of God yuck is happening way, way far over in Russia. It's happening right there in the same set of zip codes. It's right there. <coughs> I'm just referencing Revelation 14, 20. This is a, a, a verse that we've looked at in previous sessions, but it's describing the whole plain of Megiddo. It's describing the whole mountain valley outside of Jerusalem for 180 miles. That's the 1600 stadia there that you see. 180 miles is wet with blood from all the dead of these, uh, these horses and men and all that kind of stuff. It's even more than that, but, but just go ahead and kind of get that picture. Well, it says trampled the winepress outside the city. The city is Jerusalem. That's the city. So this great winepress, the great battle that takes place, it's right outside of Jerusalem. Now, is that half a mile? Two miles? I don't know, but it's not 50 miles. It's like right outside Jerusalem, probably at the base of Mount Zion and then the whole valley and beyond. And not just the valley, but also on the hills and the mountains, all in that whole area. This is really intense. This is where this battle takes place. So as we're imagining the wedding supper of the Lamb, the great supper of God is still happening in the same regional proximity. It's happening right there. That is so intense. On the mountains of Israel is one of the language points. Not only the mountains, also the open fields, also the valley. But here's where it says that this great supper of God is taking place. Remember, great supper is the birds. Call out to every kind of bird. Come together from all around to the sacrifice I'm preparing for you, the great sacrifice on the mountains of Israel. So if you want to know where does the great supper of God take place, it has to at least include the mountains of Israel. But if you look at the Ezekiel 39 passage, it says mountains and open fields. Look at this. On the mountains of Israel you will fall and all your troops and the nations with you. I will give you as food to all kinds of carrion birds and to the wild animals. You will fall in the open field, for I have spoken, declares the sovereign Lord. So the fields, the mountains, the valley, it's a big old piece of territory because, again, you're not talking about a few hundred thousand army guys. You're talking about tens or hundreds of millions gathered for that final battle. The birds seen flying overhead, I already mentioned that. Now, I just want to read you Psalm 23, maybe in a new light. Some of you have already been kind of thinking this, but I just, this is not an accident that we have Psalm 23 written this way. Even though I walk through the darkest valley. Can you picture a darker valley than the one just described? I will fear no evil for you are with me your rod and your staff. That's the language of Revelation 19 where he shows up as the great shepherd and it says he's got a staff in his hand, a scepter to rule the nations, to dash them to pieces. That's Revelation 19. Same passage that we're reading about the birds. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you know when the people of God get to dwell in the house of the Lord forever? It's when he comes. This is actually like, this psalm has deep meaning for many of us for many reasons. Let's keep all those reasons. A primary purpose of Psalm 23 is to describe the reality of the wedding supper of the Lamb and the great supper of God happening simultaneously. God sets the table in that context. Whoa, that's intense. All right, well, we're going to break up into groups and talk here for a little bit. And then we'll come back for uh, some Q&A. All right. We're going to now go to uh, our uh, Q&A time from each of the groups. I'll uh, make sure to repeat the question just so that those that are watching online or that listen later can hear it. Uh, why don't we start back there, Andy, with you guys. Yeah, so the question is related to the Jewish feasts and specifically uh, with relationship to which one did you mention? Pentecost. Uh, being a spring feast, uh, would this be you know, in that sort of, could this be that? Maybe. Some people definitely think it is. Um, so uh, the other thing, which just, it, it does so happen that it's the same seasons, uh, but it's important to note that the seasons wouldn't be based off of whatever's happening in America. The seasons would be based off of whatever's happening in Israel. Uh, but it does so happen that the, it's the same uh, it's because of hemisphere, northern hemisphere. So, um, so is, is, are we talking about the Feast of Pentecost being in relationship to the timing of this? I don't know. I'm not going to go online and say it is. I would say that there are definitely some that think that and think it for different reasons beyond this one. Uh, and so there's, there is a thought process, a starting point uh, for where and when that could be. You've heard me say before that I think it would probably be very much like the Lord. Like it would shock me if it wasn't this way, that the end time events would align with the timing of the purposes of God for Israel and specific feasts. And all. I mean, I think those are just going to wind up being very much in sync and a seamless storyline that an Orthodox Jew would go, oh my gosh, this is our God doing this storyline. So I think there's going to be a lot of sync uh, with all that. So is this that? I don't know, but I, I think it's a good place to start in, in kind of staring at it. That's a great, great question. Um, Caitlin. Yeah, so what are the other verses that would say that they happen at the same time? So it's, uh, I, I think you're not going to find a, a verse, at least that I can think of in, in you know, my little study. I don't think you're going to find a verse that says it. I think what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to do context clues uh, related to chronology. And so uh, one of the things that we know just in the, in the main storyline is we know that the events of the Great Tribulation happen, all the judgment events occur. Um, Jesus comes back at the last trumpet, the seventh trumpet, he comes back, and now he's on his way to Jerusalem. So there's, there's a period of uh, time between when he, he uh, appears in the sky and when he appears in Jerusalem, there's a period of time. And we know that this, the context of this uh, great supper of God is that all the bad guys are already dead from the battle. We know that that has already occurred because that's the whole context of the supper. So, so as far as a timing, we can be confident. I mean, we're just straight up sure that it's after that battle. Now, related to the timing of how do we know that these two things are happening at the same time, 
the point that, that I made in the session is that the, the very fact, uh, if you didn't even have the verse that said they're going to be eating you know, all summer long, let's pretend you didn't have that verse, logic would tell you they're going to be eating for a while. Logic would tell you that it's going to be happening for a while, but the events of the wedding supper of the lamb start happening chronologically very quickly after the battle because it's it's the coronation of Christ. It's the it's the establishment of the millennial kingdom. It's all of that is happening in that short window of time uh, after the battle, and so uh, you, you're going to have to probably use more context clues than you are a straight up verse that says. Uh, these two things are happening simultaneously. And I honestly think that would be a great point of study for, for some of you to go on to try to see that, you know, more from other scriptures and bring that up, you know, in one of these Q&A times, uh, you know, in another week. Um, but I do think you're going to, I mean, there, you know, who knows? The word is filled with all sorts of mystery. You might find a verse that says it's so clear. You go, ah, this is it. But in my, just my little surveying, I'm not thinking of anything that makes it that overt. I think you're going to mostly be relying on context clues. Great question. Uh, yeah. The supper, how long? Yeah, so how long does this supper go on? I, well, I think you bring, you bring up a great point about the waves. Even the, the sheer number of birds needing to be on the ground. I don't know that you can get all 400 billion of them on the ground at once. I think there might even need to be some measure of some are up, some are down, some are over there kind of digesting in order to come back for round two kind of a thing. So I think there's some of that going on. How long is this going to go on? I mean, I, I honestly think from the, from the strategy of heaven, I think it serves a pragmatic purpose of cleaning all the flesh off. So I think it's actually so that the bone barriers that we read about in uh, Ezekiel 39, so that they're burying bones and not entire bodies and things, that they're, it's bones. So however long it takes 400 billion birds to... Pick clean, 150, made up number, 150 million army guys. <laughs> I, I don't know, months, months, and, and who knows what all the waves of that look like. But it's, this is a, uh, I heard uh, this group over here describe uh, the concept of a significant sub-story to the end time drama. Like this is, there's a lot on this. Like this has given a significant amount of focus and so, uh, you know, I think a while, months is my, you know, just kind of my, my guess. So, gosh. Okay, so now I have to explain. This is, this, is, this is exactly what question not to ask during this time. It's one that requires so much backstory, and yet there still was no question. Uh, so Luke is, Luke is reminding us of when we were at Pioneer Parkway. It was a lease space uh, over on Pioneer. And we were there for a few years. Every, was it fall? It was just a nightmare. I don't remember. I think it was fall. I think it was like August, September, sometime in that period of time. The parking lot at like, at dawn, you call it like 601, would start moving. Because you could look in the horizon, you could see this, the parking lot was moving kind of closer to you. It was covered in crickets. And these black crickets, these gnarly crickets, and I'm telling you, thousands and thousands every morning right at dawn. And so as the sun's coming up, and we're there at 5, so we're seeing the sun come up, and I was the usher on far too many of those 5 a.m. sets back then. That might be the reason I don't usher anymore. It might really be because of that. <laughs> These crickets are coming in 
tens of thousands, and you're just at the door with the broom trying to sweep them so they don't get in the building, and they got in the building. Every, it was horrible. The vacuum cleaners smelled so bad because all the crickets in there. So these birds would come. The first wave was the crickets. The second wave was the birds in order to eat all the crickets. So you would wind up with a parking lot filled with gorged, glutted pigeons that would get so heavy they'd have a hard time running away. You could actually like almost catch them because they were so full on these creatures. It was so gross. Why did you make me say that? Because are they going to be there? Yes, they'll be there. The descendants of those birds will be at the Great Supper of God. Praise the Lamb. Let's move on. Man, I just this we could have just not done this. Okay, Father, we ask you in Jesus' name for your help. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources or to schedule another TPR teacher to come speak at your church or event, please see our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Thank you.